again, we were so encouraged yesterday, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to my soul. And so, um, would you let's let's get Joel up here and and hear from Joel and um, and let's be listening and hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. So, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Kim. Good morning. Oh man, that was amazing. The talent that is here is just. Uh, I, I, I just felt the Lord just um, as we were worshiping. My heart was leaping for you. Uh, have you ever had a crush on somebody? You know, and you're, you're kind of maybe on the front end of the relationship, and maybe you're, start, you're just starting to date. Have you ever been there? You guys all have the gift of celibacy? What's going on? It's okay to have. That's a beautiful gift, but... Wow. Oh, we got one over here. Bless you, my brother. Um, so do you know what I'm talking about? And then you kind of get all those butterflies and your stomach starts to make weird noises. Ever, ever been there? All right. This, you're my man. Yeah. Uh, I, felt, I felt that excitement uh, in my gut for what God wants to do in and through your life. Really. I, I have, I've, I preach in a lot of different places. I haven't felt that. Um, uh, the last time I felt that was when I started to date my wife, and I still feel that for her, which is pretty cool. Come on. Come on. Uh, don't yell, Joel. Calm down. Um. Yeah, so I really, I, I just, uh, you know, I just feel that for you. And uh, if you want job security, who, who likes job security one day? You, you, <laughs> Jerry, uh, then go into ministry. Uh, we, we are in need of pastors and leaders, like Major, uh, I, I don't know all the details in your district, although I, I, we spent some time a few days in December with all of your district leadership team in Whistler, which was really nice. And we, we prayed together, dreamt together, learned together. Um, and I know that there's lots of needs in BC, Yukon district. Uh, I can speak more clearly for Western Ontario district. In the next 10 years or so, we're going to have so many uh, past pastor openings uh, for our churches that there is no way we're going to be able to fill all those if there isn't a surge of leaders and uh, or else people like me are going to be pastoring four or five churches at the same time and that's just the truth that's the the statistics are telling us that and so uh, as much as you hear all the stories about pastoring and this and that, I just want to tell you, if you're looking for job security, it's a great option. Uh, but beyond that, I'm just saying, God's called you here for a reason. And he's going to give you everything you need to accomplish what God's asked you to do. And, uh, and, and my heart leaps for what God will do in and through your ministry. I believe that for you. This morning, the title of my message is The Seven Mile Road. Uh, Exodus 15. 
22 to 27. If you have your Bibles, go there, please. And let me, I just want to share some context to this passage. Remember, good hermeneutics is context, right? I noticed, is Mark here? Oh, I was just going to say, I don't see Mark, but he is here, faithful, faithful. Uh, context is important, right? It helps us really understand and interpret the text appropriately. I will do my best effort to uh, implement what I learned at Summit. Um, and so uh, the context here is quite remarkable. In Exodus 14, there's the whole parting of the sea, right? And so uh, that, that's kind of a challenging moment for Moses and the people of God. Would you agree? Yeah, so they've been set free and they're on the journey to the promised land, and they, they come into some challenges along the way. This is one of those moments. And so there's the, red, the, the sea in front of them, and Pharaoh has changed his mind, and all his army is ch- pursuing them, chasing them. They're trapped. What are we going to do here? The water's in front of us. Our enemies are impeding us. What's going on? And so, of course, in that moment of tension, in that moment of stress, uh, the, the people cry out and grumble and complain. And why did you bring us out here to die? They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt, Moses? It's your fault. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. Wow. Uh, Sometimes in the challenges of life, we can become like that, can't we? I know I can. I, I, I can start blaming others or circumstances as to why I find myself in this moment. And that's what the people of God were doing. They, they literally were saying, I'd rather have stayed in slavery. Think about that. Than to deal with this right now. Well, this is a, a key moment for a leader uh, named Moses. What is he going to do? Like, it's not his fault. He's just been obedient. And here they are in this predicament. And so I love his answer in verse 13 of chapter 14 in Exodus. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring on you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now, ready? Verse 14. You you probably, if you're into highlighting and underlining, you might want to do that in this verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Didn't we sing? The Lord fights our battles. Interesting, isn't it, how the Lord prepared our hearts for that? You didn't know what I was preaching, right? Whoever chose that. Rest in knowing I am with you and for you, and the battle belongs to me. Now, Moses, when he said that, he didn't know how this was going to all shake down. He wasn't God. He just knew the God who had walked with him all the days of his life. And so as the story goes, God does a miracle and splits the sea in two. And what was once water became a highway for the people to walk through on dry ground. They made it to the other side. 
God recedes the water and destroys their enemy right before their eyes. Pretty cool day. Pretty cool day. Of course, the natural response when we see the hand of God uh, do what only he can do, the natural response is what? Anybody? When you have seen the power of God right before your eyes, that God made a way where there seemed to be no way, what naturally, for the Christ follower, what naturally happens? What do you want to do in that moment? Yeah, rejoice. Come on. Praise, worship. And that's exactly what they did. In fact, uh, the next chapter, 15, Miriam and Moses begin to sing unto the Lord and they worship and they dance and they're glorifying God because of what God has done. And maybe this morning, you're kind of in that moment where you've seen the hand of God in your life and you've seen him turn your life around or your circumstance around and you just can't wait to, to enter a place like this and engage with God with hands lifted high because of what the Lord has done. Now, it's interesting to note that on the heels of this great rejoicing song of praise, look what happens next, and that's our text. And so that context is really important. Verse 22 says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert. Of sure. Okay, stop there. So you see, sometimes you're in a predicament. Water, army, I'm dead. Other moments, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. You're walking in the miracle. You get to the other side. You're rejoicing. You're rocking and rolling, right? You're praising God. And then at other times, you're walking into the desert of sure. And look what happens. For three days, everybody say three days. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? They grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? Are these the same people that walked on dry ground where there seemed to be no way? Question, answer. Are they the same people? Yeah, they are. What are we going to do here? Nothing to drink. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. And he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. May you be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. So the seven-mile road, I want to make three points this morning. And they are this, three days, one tree, seven miles. Three days, one tree, seven miles. So 
They led, they went from the Red Sea to the desert of Shur, and for three days, for three days they had no water. Now, the people of God were, were traveling with their entire families, including children. This was a massive challenge, no water for three days. Three days, that's a difficult task to overcome. I wonder if the three days can represent times of darkness and silence in our lives. I wonder if it represents those difficult moments that we travel to and through. I wonder if it's seasons where, God, where are you? I don't sense you. I I, I don't understand the circumstance. I don't understand why this has worked out the way it has. I wonder if the three days perhaps is a foreshadowing of the three days that needed to elapse between the cross and the resurrection. Those must have been really hard days. In fact, we have an account where there's two disciples walking on the road of Emmaus, and they're filled with discouragement and doubt, and they're thinking to themselves, I thought Jesus was the Son of God, and and I thought he was going to be the ruler of our land, and, and, and he's gone. They've killed him. They crucified. I, I wonder if there's a foreshadowing here of the three days. Those are difficult days. And sometimes we want to quickly get to resurrection. We want to, we want to kind of rip through Good Friday and kind of pretend the, the, the middle days don't exist. We just want to get to Easter Sunday. We want, we want the breakthrough. We want... There's a reason why there's three days. And sometimes in our lives, God leads us into the desert of Shur. You see, we learn the wisdom of patience from the crucifixion and the resurrection. The waiting is important. We can't skip those dark days between the cross and the glory. They're there for a reason. Nobody likes darkness, but darkness perhaps is not all that bad. Hold on, don't throw anything at me. Nobody likes darkness. Nobody likes the three days. Nobody likes those seasons. But perhaps darkness isn't all that bad. Hmm. Let's take a mother's womb, for instance. It's dark in there, isn't it? But yet it's there where a child is growing in his or her mother's womb for nine months approximately, where when it's ready to come into the world, it does, but that mom waits and waits for that child to be born. But that womb is a protective place, a safe place for that child to grow. Darkness was there before creation, wasn't it? In the beginning, when God created the universe, what the Holy Spirit embraced was what? Formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Before God created light, there was darkness. 
Jonah was in the dark, damp belly of a large fish before he ever saw daylight again. But it was in that fish where he learned, perhaps, to cry out to God. I'm struck by the prophet Isaiah 45, verse 3. He says something powerful. I will give you the treasures of what? Hmm. Let's think about that. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of uh, treasures, I, I don't necessarily think automatically of darkness. I usually would think of, you know, brilliancy, jewels, excitement, discovery. Somebody's excited about treasure. Uh, Treasures of darkness. Interesting. Uh, Treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. I believe that perhaps some of the greatest treasures of our lives are discovered only in darkness. Perhaps some of the most life-changing moments, character-forming moments, actually happen in the three days. And I believe that today is going to be a great day for you. As we were worshiping, I just sensed clearly, today is going to be a great day for many of you in the room. I believe that God wants to show you on a West Coast cloudy, rainy day. And boy, do I remember these days. One year, 52 days straight of these days. And I thought, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one thing in Ontario. We actually see the sun. <laughs> but it could get discouraging or gloomy and in life circumstances. But perhaps the greatest treasures of our lives are discovered in the darkest times of our lives. Hmm. You see, before creating a new thing, God lets us go through darkness first. Through darkness, God makes things that we have not seen before. He allows us to see things in the darkest times of our lives that we could never see and find when life is brilliant and going great. Grab that one. He helps us see the bright future in some of the darkest seasons of our life. Let's take, for instance the way God designed your eyes. We see through the dark part, don't we? The iris of the eye, not through the white part. Why did God create us to see things through the black part of the eye? It's a mystery that we see the bright future through the darkness. Let's take some uh, 
biblical characters here for a moment. You still do character sketches in some of your courses where you got to study biblical character, write about them? You still do that? Mark, you've gone lenient on these guys. What's going on, bro? Okay, good. Well, they didn't say yes or no. I was just kind of looking at me. Trust me, it's worth doing those. I think, I'm pretty sure mine was on Joseph. Still bitter about the mark Mark gave me, but. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> Joseph was thrown into a pit. He spent how many years? Anybody? Come on. Two years. He spent two years in a dark prison, and those dark years, God was preparing a stage for Joseph to demonstrate God's power and glory. While Joseph was waiting, amazing things were happening outside of that prison. Now, put yourself in Joseph's uh, shoes. He has this grand vision, and, and, and uh, he's going to be this great leader of a nation, And he has these dreams and probably shouldn't have told his brothers the way he did. Right? Maybe not the wisest idea. And he, he, you know, he he gets beaten and battered and abused by his very own brothers. Now, that in itself will leave a mark in your life. I mean, that that hurts. Right? Betrayal hurts. Then he's thrown in a pit to die. They then sell him, and he finds himself in the palace, remarkably, through God's divine intervention and guidance. You know, you know that your life is ordered of the Lord, right? And then he gets misaccused, and next thing you know, he's in prison. Not just for three days, not only for three months, two years. And he's th- he must have been sitting there going, what? How? I don't get this. Why, why did I get this vision? Why? It was clear. Was I like just, it was the pizza the night before. Like, why did I, why did I get this? I've been forgotten. Not only forgotten, but I, like my life, like it, terrible. Yet, as he was sitting there, God was beginning to move the pieces at the right time. But Joseph needed to go through the two years before he ever became a leader. What about David? David spent time in the caves of Adullam, running for him for his life from Saul, not because David had done anything wrong, but because of Saul's envy and jealousy. And because of Saul's sin, David is running as an escaped refugee, and he's literally surviving in caves. Hmm. Scriptures say that it was in the caves of Adullam that David learned to strengthen himself in the Lord. Did you get that? 
David had to spend silent moments in the caves before he ever became a leader, before he ever reached God's preferred future for his life. Hmm. It's in those three days, in those for Joseph, the prison days, for David, the caves of Adullam. It's, it's, it's a silent place. It's a quiet place. It's a hard place. It's a self-discovering place. But it is also a strengthening place. When Jesus was mocked and insulted, he remained silent for most of it. Blaise Pascal put it this way, all humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted when I'm traveling the three days to try to overextend or overcontrol my situation because it's uncomfortable. And we begin to go to places to try to fix things. Now, guys, we have a tendency to be fixers, right? And I, I, sometimes I see my kids, and I just want to get in there and move that piece there, do this. And I realize he's six foot one and a lot stronger than I. But, but in life circumstances, we want to, when, when, when we're in the three days, we're tempted to get in and control Instead of sitting in a room quietly with Jesus and allowing him to do what only he can do, not only in the circumstance, but even more importantly, in my heart. Hmm. And it's in those quiet moments in my personal experience where I have discovered some of the greatest treasures of my life. Three days, one tree. So there's the people of God grumbling, complaining to Moses, what are we to do? And then in the distance, they see a body of water. And so you can only imagine, they're probably thinking, finally, here's the answer. And so they run to the water in the distance. They see, they cup their hands into the water and begin to drink only to realize it's bitter. Yeah. Have you ever been there? When you think, okay, I've been praying, I've been consistent, I'm waiting, and then you see what you think is going to be the answer, and you get there, and it's not what you expected. Now, it's another layer of disappointment. Anybody ever been there? Come on. And you, and it's like, okay, now it's like you're teasing me, God. Like, why did you, why were the bitter waters even there? Why? If we couldn't even drink it. And sometimes the disappointments layer themselves in our lives. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Another translation says, showed him a tree.
And he took the tree, as God directed, and he threw it into the bitter waters of Marah. And the moment that tree hit the water, the bitter waters turned into sweet waters. And God did a miracle and allowed the people to drink. Perhaps, I love the Old Testament, because it's preparing us for what is ahead. Perhaps there is a foreshadowing of a tree that one day Jesus would die on. The cross of Jesus is thrown into the cesspool of our sins, isn't it? There is power in the cross. The power of the cross turns the bitter waters of my heart into sweet water. You see, the greatest miracle you and I will ever experience is the salvation of our souls. So, yeah, you know, all those moments of great breakthrough, an opportunity for ministry, or that relationship is just blossoming, and those butterflies are like, oh, they're in unison. You know what I mean? They're like flying together. Um, those are all beautiful moments that the Lord gifts us with, but there's nothing greater than knowing, God, you saved me. You've, you've saved me. Your grace is sufficient. My heart is secure. My soul is right. We sang that one too. It is well with my soul. You know, everything around me can shake, but man, I'm right with you, and I'm just passing through, and one day I will be in utter perfection in eternity. It's going to be great. Have a vision of heaven. The greatest part about heaven is that Jesus is there. And we're going to spend the rest of eternity without more struggling with anxiety or discouragement or sin or relational strife or health conditions or all that stuff. Gone. Perfection. That's your destination. Just that in itself should restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Perhaps this was a foreshadowing of what was ahead. And often in the ups and downs of life, what seemed like good things may turn out to be bad, while what seemed bad may actually turn out to be good. Who would have thought that dying on the cross would be a glorious thing? <laughs> Who would have thought that Jesus' wounds would bring glory to God? That's why to this day, people think what we believe is foolish. For the Israelites, they would not have seen God's miraculous power if they didn't encounter the bitter waters of Mark. It's interesting to me, however, and we must not miss this in the text, is that Moses cried out before the Lord. Before he ever saw the tree, Moses cried out. That's really important. When we encounter the waters of Mara in our own lives, we must understand the importance of humility. We are nothing without God. 
And sometimes when we sip the waters of Mara, we can become angry, bitter, hard-hearted, retaliatory. We blame others. We become critical. And God's saying, can you do the reverse and bend the knee instead? In those Mara moments in your life, there once was a tree pulled up by its roots in a storm, and it was floating in a river when it met a willow tree and asked, why were you not pulled up by the strong winds? And the willow tree answered, I bow down when the winds are too strong. It is the flexible trees that can endure strong winds. They know how to humble themselves. Amidst your Mara experiences in your life, don't grow jaded, don't grow hard, but grow in humility. Three days, one tree, seven miles. Now, let's say, Joe, I, I think you're reading into the text. I don't see anything about seven miles anywhere. Most preachers usually stop at verse 26. I mean, it's a great, right there, we can all go home right now, right? God turns the bitter waters into sweet waters. Boom, done. But there is another verse there. And it says, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I did some research about Elam. Some scholars believe that Elam was seven miles down the road from Mara. Seven miles down the road from Mara was a place called Elam. They couldn't see Elam because it was seven miles around the bend. They didn't know it was there. They didn't know what was part of Elam, what Elam consisted of, but God did. In fact, God already had prepared Elam for the people of God amidst their three days. Now, what's interesting to me is what Elam consisted of. Twelve springs. Now, I'm not a big numbers guy. There's some guys who've written a hundred books over numbers in the Bible. It's like code this, and I'm not that far into that. But twelve springs. There were how many tribes of Israel? Twelve tribes. <laughs> you know, I, I've got. I know you're traveling. You're on the route to promised land, and you need refreshment. I get it. I got a spring for every one of your tribes. It's all ready to go. Oh, and it gets better. <laughs> it, according to the text, it says there were seventy palm trees. That's an interesting number. There were apparently 70 elders of Israel. So elders, I know, I know you're leading and there's a responsibility. I got you covered, man. I know you're in the desert. I got a palm tree for every one of you. Just relax. Sit in the shade for a while. I got you. Woo, Elam. God had already prepared it for the people. And it was perfectly and preciously designed just for them. Do you know that God knows what you need more than what you know you need? Wow. 
This is phenomenal text. God's got an Elam right there for you. He's already prepared it in advance. You don't have to stress out about what the next step is going to look like. Where am I going to end up? Is it going to be a rural village up in northern BC? Is it going to be right smack in the city? What what kind of ministry am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? How many children am I going to have? Where am I going to live? How am I going to afford a house? I'll never afford a house. Will I have a dog? Will it have a fence? Will it be in? Stop. Stop it. God's got you. You're his kid. You're his kid. The question will be, will you walk the seven-mile road? Will you stay faithful even though you can't see it yet? I have the worship team. That's the moment. I believe that God is going to intersect your path this morning. I really do. Man. Okay, I got a few minutes. You got to grab this word for you. It was so clear in my heart for you today. Elam is just around the corner. Walk the seven-mile road. God knows you better than you know yourself. He created you. He will not lead you down a dead end street. The question will be, will you walk down the seven mile road? Now, when they got there, it's interesting what it says. They camped there near the water. Sometimes we're tempted to build our houses in Elam because it's nice. But God had something even greater. They were just to stay there for a while, almost like a rest station. But their final destination was where? The promised land, which was even better than Elam, as great as Elam is. And you will have these Elam moments in your life. But even in those Elam moments, remember this, it only gets better. Elam is just a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. Our God is so amazing. Would you stand with me? And as they're going to sing this anointed song, we've got a few minutes. Treasures. God's got treasures for you. Find a spot in the room, maybe with a friend, maybe on your own, maybe at this altar, and, and seek Him. Because he's got something that you would have never thought or imagined for you. Let's connect with God. Bless you.